Football systems check. Microphone. Check. Record enabled. Kate. Check. Michelle. Check. All systems go. I repeat, all systems go. We got a problem. We got a Copy. We have ball blast. I repeat, we have ball blast. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome to the Ball Blast Podcast. Here to help you get ballsy and win your fantasy football leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Kay Majuk, Michelle Majuk, and Jake Trowbridge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Ball Blast Fantasy Football Podcast, where we help you get ballsy and win your fantasy football leagues. I'm your host, Kate. You can follow me on Twitter at FFBallBlast. And I'm Michelle. You can follow me at BallBlastM, BallBlastEM. And I'm Jake. You can follow me at Jake Trowbridge with a W. And of course, like I said, you got to get ballsy if you want to win your fantasy football leagues. You have to be ahead of the punches. Do not always roll with consensus. That does not always work. It never works. No, it doesn't. Because you know what? If you are always rolling with consensus, you are like 20 steps behind the game. So consider supporting our team on Patreon. We have an awesome team of content creators. And all of the support we get on Patreon is literally what helps make our website possible, ballblastfootball.com. We've got a really awesome betting guide. If you guys haven't checked it out for our tiers, $10 $10 and up by Brandon Schumacher. Shout out to Brandon putting out some really awesome betting content and he's going to help you win some money this year. I don't know how much money depends on, on you guys and how well you read this betting guide, but you know, one way you could have made money. How? If you put down money on Julio Jones going to the Titans, baby. Ooh, that's a great transition, Michelle. Oh, I'm so good at this. <laughs> I'm just becoming an expert. I hope, I hope that people put their money in to Julio Jones going to the Titans. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Oh, that was the odds on favorite. And if you were watching the chatter amongst our analysts this week. Everybody was saying Vegas is always right. And guess what? Vegas is always right, guys. Vegas is always, always right. I think we have to get into this week's biggest breaking news. Michelle, you alluded to it. Julio Jones has been traded to the Tennessee Titans. It's wild. It's honestly, though, I know it's a favorite, and it was always... Julio was always going to get traded, but him going to the Titans, I didn't really want to believe it when it first happened, but I'm now acclimating to the news. I've accepted it now. There's like, there's the five stages of grief. Is this good or bad for fantasy just overall? So like, we'll get into like Julio, AJ Brown, Derrick Henry, but overall for the group, does this help them all or does it just, put them all down a little bit of a notch because they're all so good. I think, I mean, it's a better offense with Julio there and better offenses produce more fantasy points overall and more should be distributed to every one of them. I mean, save for my dude, Anthony Ferkser, probably who took the biggest hit with this news. Yeah. Uh, but really I think uh, it's going to keep the offense humming and maybe there's a slight downtick overall you know, and the target share, but the efficiency of the offense should make up for a lot of that, I think. Yeah, and I think Anthony Ferkser definitely took the biggest hit. I put out a tweet about an hour before this Julio Jones trade, and the top 10 tight ends from last year, they're all guys who did not have a good wide receiver two on their offense. And then people took it too literally, like, no, never a tight end who doesn't have a wide receiver two is good. It's like, no, the tight end also has to be better than the wide receiver two. Like, the talent still has to be there. But with Ferkser, like I, we were thinking like, yeah, they'll probably use him more than Josh Reynolds. Like if you're comparing the two. So that's why we liked him. But no, they're not going to use Anthony Ferkser over Julio Jones. It's a little bit different. So I think he did take the biggest hit. He's He will still be involved in the offense. It's just going to be inconsistent. And what was so exciting about him is there was so many targets to go around. 
and now that's not the case whatsoever. But what about Julio Jones directly? So, I mean, in Atlanta, he's used to getting 1,400-plus receiving yards a season, never really been a big touchdown guy. Do we think he still gets that same volume? Because he's used to 160, 170 targets a year. No way in baloney, no way in purgatory does that happen <laughs> at all. I mean, the Titans have been bottom two in pass attempts over the last two seasons. There's nothing that makes me think that they are going to just flip the switch with Julio Jones. I mean, the picture of the Titans offense has not been volume. It has been efficiency. Julio is great for efficiency. I don't think there's anything bad about that. They've finished top four in yards per play over the last two seasons. Don't think Julio Jones hurts that. Like the dings that were lost with the departures of Johnny Smith, with the departure of Corey Davis, who like debatable on how big of a significance that would be. Julio Jones makes up for that. I think you're going to have enough trouble covering literally just Derrick Henry, John, or not Johnny Smith, Julio Jones. I'm replacing all my J's. I just think there are so many different options there. I mean, Brian Tannehill, probably one of the better values in the NFL. Michelle, I know you're going to talk about Big Ben anytime I say quarterback value, but like uh, I was looking at underdog fantasy ADP the other day. He is going as the quarterback 16. Yeah, but now people are so hyped on him that ADP is going to rise up. It should rise, it, and it should rise up. Like that, it Ryan Tannehill should be a more highly the drafted biggest issue with having Ryan Tannehill is that in any given week, Derrick Henry can have three touchdowns, and that doesn't leave much for Tannehill. And you just never know what weeks those are going to be. There was one occurrence, literally one occurrence in the 2020 season where Ryan Tannehill had fewer than 15 points. Can Lamar Jackson say the same thing? No, Ooh. boom, roasted. It's a good floor. That's a real he, good it's floor. It's a really but. nice floor. And I think, I mean, he has the ceiling. He had uh, one, two, three, four, five occasions of 30-plus fantasy points. He was a quarterback one in 50% of his games last season. All in on Ryan Tannehill. Love, love, love the move for the Titans. Respect. Yeah, this definitely respect. is great for Ryan Tannehill. And just the whole offense. Now, we were all calling A.J. Brown to, I mean, a lot of us were saying that he could be the wide receiver one in fantasy next year. No. Like, we were getting hyped uh, about him all offseason long. Does he still have that same ceiling? Like, can he still be the wide receiver one? Can he even be a top five wide receiver no. with Julio Jones now in town? No. Okay. Can I tell you something crazy? I think they could both be top 12 wide receivers this year, though. And, and it okay. wouldn't shock me that much. I think the other big thing that we don't know about enough yet is obviously they're getting a new offensive coordinator in Tennessee. So Arthur Smith is gone. Todd Downing is there. I know that they've been terrible in terms of pass attempts over the last few years, as you said, Kate. And Atlanta, of course, Julio coming from Atlanta, where all they do is pass, 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 pass. They were first in 2019, fourth last year in pass attempts. Um, but so does Tennessee start to maybe move up that list though? Could they at least get to the middle of the pack? And for me, that's all it would take if they can get towards the middle. I think both could have top 12 receiving seasons. And I think they will like that would not shock me at all. The biggest thing with Julio is he has to stay healthy. And that's a big thing with AJ Brown too. Like maybe I'll get him at a discount and Julio Jones he often plays through the injuries. Last year was kind of that first year he didn't, but he's usually banged up. And sometimes they put him in there just to be a decoy. I do think AJ Brown will still be the man there. I, I could see like even Julio, maybe he gets more targets, but AJ Brown ends with more yards. Like it's not like AJ Brown is the type of wide receiver that we've ever depended on targets to like, I mean, what did he have last year? 106. The year before that, 80-something. Like, he's never been a target guy, even if he just gets to 120, which is very reasonable. Uh, I, I think he's going to be fine. Like, top 12. Now, we were saying he could be the wide receiver one because without Julio, it's looking like he's going to see 140-plus targets. Oh, now it's Calvin Ridley. I think that's out of the question. <laughs> oh, but, just the switcheroo there. I will say I'm a little bit disappointed with Derrick Henry. I don't think it hurts him at all from what we are usually seeing from him. But I was like, I had this sliver of hope 
I don't know why, uh, that they would pos- possibly use Derrick Henry in the passing game this year since they needed people. Uh, now that kind of goes away, and he's probably just going to be using his same old role, which is fine. I mean, I'll take 2,000 rushing yards. You know what? The receiving role for Derrick Henry is good enough. They throw one screen pass to him per game. It goes for 99 yards and a touchdown, <laughs> and then it's that's it. That's all the targets he needs for a game. But I don't think this hurts Derrick Henry at all. It's I mean, open up so much. It room. is go. It opens up so much in the secondary for Derrick Henry. You can't just stack the box because you have two of the best wide receivers in the NFL lined up on the outside. Tennessee ranked top five in red zone attempts per game last season. That's gotta continue. I there's no way on earth that it doesn't. And there is no other guy that I'm worried about in that offense. Like I, I feel like the absence of Johnny Smith almost benefits Derrick Henry because you don't you lost one big body. I just feel like Derrick Henry is the de facto scorer 99% of the time. Yeah, yeah that's and fair. I mean, and also, I think Julio benefits from it a little bit going over there in terms of touchdowns. Uh, with Speaking about John, he was top 10 in red zone targets last year. Did not feel that way. Um, but obviously, those are gone. Now, Derrick Henry probably absorbs some of that at the at the goal line work there, which is really nice. But maybe we finally see like six touchdowns out of Julio this year. Wouldn't that be wild? And it's not like so it's not like Julio Jones is coming into this role and he's going to take all these targets away. It's like Janu is leaving and Anthony Fursker last year already had a decent amount of targets. So it's not like, you know, we're saying Julio Jones is coming in and he's going to take so much of the volume away. It's like Corey Davis is gone. Janu Smith is gone. There's plenty to go around where AJ Brown's still going to be fine. And I mean, if you're just looking at Corey Davis, he scored five touchdowns. I would really, really like to believe if Corey Davis can score five touchdowns, like Julio Jones should, should be able to at least score <laughs> six or more. It's wild to me that this Julio Jones, this massive human being, isn't a touchdown monster. Like how? How? Calvin Ridley know, One is- season double-digit touchdowns. It doesn't... It doesn't- makes that I'm not good at math, but that does not make any sense to me. So hopefully he can uh, maybe, maybe he flirts with double digits this year and he remedies everything. And then he goes uh, away as a legend. Who knows? I mean, he already will, but you know what I mean? All right. I think that's enough. Julia Jones talk. I'm sure you've heard it everywhere by now. And we've been talking about it for so long. The trade finally happens. It happens on a Sunday on a Sunday. I was like, of course. Get us all dirty. Uh, Before we get into our segment for this week, which is talk of the town, kind of different this week. It won't be just our normal like, ooh, what's everyone talking about this week on Twitter? What's the one thing? It's what is the media talking about? What What are coaches saying during OTAs? What are these little narratives going around on the streets? Do we believe them or not? We're obviously not going to believe the ones that we don't like. But we'll talk through each of them. <laughs> we have some fun ones. But before we get to that, we got to talk about underdog fantasy. Coming off of a huge rookie season, the expectations for underdogs sophomore season are sky high. They're answering the call with the best best ball tournament ever. And if you're not playing best ball yet, which you should be, because it's kind of the best kind of fantasy league, you need to start. And you're going to start with our promo code Ball Blast. Make a $10 deposit on Underdog Fantasy with promo code BALLBLAST. You get $25 to play in the best format of fantasy football ever. You set no lineups. You just draft your team and collect money at the end of your season. It's incredible. You don't make trades. You don't do waivers. You don't set lineups. You set it and forget it and then collect your money in January They have the biggest best ball tournament ever right now on underdog fantasy football. You can win a million dollars if you place first in this contest. And Ball Blast Football is here to help get through it. Just today on our Patreon page, I posted an exclusive article for my favorite values on underdog fantasy right now. But the best part, Michelle, you get to swing for the fences. 
And you get to get ballsy because you don't have to worry about setting the lineup and worrying about them tanking your entire roster. Yeah, and just my favorite part about best ball and about using underdog because there's not a lot of apps out there. Like if you want to play best ball, underdog is by far the best app. There is no comparison. And my favorite thing about best ball is during the off season, when you're so like, you're just waiting to draft and you're waiting to draft and you're doing these mock drafts and then you're going on these sites and you do mock drafts, but it doesn't seem right. Like people don't really care. It's like, you're putting down a few dollars on these drafts. It can be $1. It can be $25, $50, $100, whatever you want, but it actually means something. So you're getting to mock draft all off season long while still putting down money and still having a chance to win at the end of the year. But you're also practicing for your redraft leagues. And that's my favorite part of ball or best ball by far. Ball blast and best ball get very confusing together. It's all about getting ballsy. <laughs> all right. Let's get into our segment. But again, before we do, it's underdogfantasy.com promo code ball blast. And I realize a lot of people don't know ball blast is just one word, guys. There's no space in between. Yeah. So, so promo code ball blast, and you will get a $25 credit on underdog fantasy so you can do an entry in their million dollar contest and if they they want to know like hey guys how to hear about us it's ball blast we are sending you to the best best ball league ever you know you're kind of the talk of the town talk of the town you're the talk of the town talk of the town All righty. Talk of the town. I am very excited for this because we've we've heard some things this week. I mean, there's just a lot of news coming out. People are very excited. Players are back at practice or in OTAs. Um, well, as long as you're not Packers fans, are really pumped because your Ugh. quarterbacks are there and ready to go. Jordan Love has gone from uh, practically about to be cut from the roster to QB1 in a matter of Literally 24 hours. Jake, how are you dealing with this roller coaster of emotion? I'm, I'm strapped in. I'm ready. I'm taking the turns. My eyes are peeled as much as they can be. <laughs> and I am uh, dreading what is about to happen. I saw you on Twitter. It's like you're having a, a little meltdown. <laughs> I'm having an when existential that, crisis about like, this. He's trying to really talk himself into that it'll be okay if Aaron Rodgers leaves the Packers, but you can tell by his multiple tweets, like he's not at all okay, but he's, he's trying so hard to be, and he really, you know, what you really want is for Jordan Love to be amazing. That's what you need. As what is what has to happen, but I figure if I if I say it enough or if I type it enough, the repetition will be such that I will eventually believe it, and then it doesn't actually matter if it happens or not, as long as I believe it. So, uh, no, yes, Jordan Love has to be at least like average. That's it. He has to be average, and then fine. Okay, great. But we cannot have a dumpster fire, uh, Deshaun Kaiser type of situation. I I can't bear it. I was going to ask, who do you think is going to be better, Kaiser, Deshaun Kaiser, or Jordan Love? All right, well, let's get into our first narrative straight, kind of about the Packers, about your old uh, running back there, Jamal Williams. So the news coming out of Detroit camp, Anthony Lynn says he's going to ride the hot hand at running back. If you go in the game and you're balling, you're going to stay in there, is what he says. Now, is this good or bad for DeAndre Swift? I, I don't really know how to decipher this. I feel like if you're a Swift fan, you're taking this as a good thing because you're saying, well, Swift is better. And then if you're not a Swift fan, you're saying, see, I told you Jamal Williams is going to be involved. Like you, This is the thing about all these narratives we're going to go through, is you believe them if you want to, and you don't believe them, if you don't want to, I'm kind of stealing this from uh, Jason from the fantasy footballers. That's basically what he said. Like if you read something and you believe it, you're like, yeah, yeah. And you share it. And then if you didn't believe it to begin with, you read it, you're like, ah, that doesn't matter. That doesn't count. And that's just the truth. That's what we do. So with this first quote from Anthony Lynn, Jake, what do you take from it? I, I don't know how often we've heard this hot hand approach a phrase come out of coaches' mouths, but I know, I know, guaranteed, you could not fit that onto the hard drive that I have on my laptop. The contents are too large. It wouldn't be able to accept it. 
and I don't think it means what people think that it means. Like, oh, it's the hot hand approach. So meaning like from snap one, if Jamal Williams gets the first snap and he's, ooh, he, he's getting five yards of carry, like he's the guy then and see ya, DeAndre Swift. I don't think that's what that means. I think that you could see less spelling between the two of them, but it's never going to be a 100%, like a James Robinson-esque, you know, situation from last year where it was just him all the time. Uh, also, as much as I love Jamal Williams, I, sorry, I, it's still Swift over Williams for me. So I'm I'm not biting this, I guess. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if this quote means a whole lot. It, it is telling that people be like, oh, we want to ride DeAndre Swift. Like we think he's super talented. He's clearly saying both are going to have a role. And I think we already know that. The biggest issue is DeAndre Swift did not have a big role last year. And we need that to increase for him to be consistent for fantasy. Cause I don't think he's going to score as many touchdowns on as many opportunities as he had last year. Like we have to expect the efficiency to go down. His workload has to get higher. Kate, do you, do you think he sees more work than last year? Does Jamal Williams eat into it? So I think part of the interesting discussion here is not necessarily, we can debate what Anthony Lynn meant by this all day long. And it's probably not accurate because it's coach speak season. It's fine. It's fine. They like Jamal Williams. That much is clear, but I think the better question is how much does Jamal Williams ball out looking over his past two seasons? He's been active 28 games. He's finished as an RB one for fantasy purposes in 21% of those games. That was two games in this past season. So let's say even if you're setting that threshold, like obviously I'm comparing fantasy to real NFL football, but I, I feel like this is a nice usage of the data and shout out to Rotoviz because they have these amazing graphs that I love to use. I I think we have to trust the fact that DeAndre Swift is going to be the, the better performer. I do think that the fact that they didn't necessarily make that commitment. I mean, we saw it even with Derrick Henry, like for years, they weren't willing to make that commitment to Derrick Henry. And then finally we heard them make the commitment and we saw them make the commitment. They're not there with DeAndre Swift yet. I don't think. And, and that's okay because I don't think they're going to be an overly efficient running offense. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yep. I agree. All right. Moving on to the next talk of the town Antonio Gibson will be more involved in the passing game are you going to believe this or not the latest news coming out of Washington's camp Ron Rivera said he expects a big jump from running back Antonio Gibson and he wants him more involved in the passing game now we believe that he will actually use him more and get him more involved just in the entire offense or is JD McKissick still going to be heavily involved in annoying AF <laughs> AF. He's going to be annoying AF, says Coach Rivera. Uh, I think that Jaden McKissick <laughs> fades away pretty significantly. I, I think this was the expectation all along, though. So for me, this isn't a needle moving comment from him, but it is assurance. Like this is something that I felt I needed to hear from him um, because it's that it was like an elephant in the room and it has been since last year. Like here's this amazing pass catcher. That's what he did in college. And now to not see him get that, it just felt weird and, and kind of wrong. <laughs> and so, you know, pass blocking, I think was a big uh, thing that he probably needed to work on. And I'm assuming that will be a big focus here this off season. And so I'm believing this. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was Antonio Gibson last year. It's like, I did not expect him to be that even as involved as he was because he was so raw. I mean, he was literally a wide receiver in college and he just did not have uh, very many opportunities and snaps as an actual running back. I was like, he can't just in the NFL and just be a running back. It turns out he could, and he was very good at it. Now it's, you know, another narrative street is coming out. Like he has learned so much in this year and he's so much more comfortable in the running back position. So I do believe it. Now, the biggest thing also coming out about Gibson is he's still not fully healthy from the toe injury. And he says he doesn't feel completely confident about that. That's an issue. Yeah. I mean, all the videos of him in camp, he looks fine. Uh, it's weird that he said it. You know, it's he said mm -hmm. he is still very hobbled, which 
I go into injury analysis. Like I'm not even going into the injury itself, but when you look at just sort of narrative treat on player injuries and how they respond, usually it's the player that comes out and says, I'm fine. It's kind of like Ross when he's like 10 margaritas deep. I'm fine. You're not (laughs) fine. And your coach has to be like, dude, you're not okay. Sit on the bench. But it's the player coming out and saying, yeah, I'm pretty hobbled. It's been four or five months. Yeah, it's been a really long time. Our boy Matthew Betts said, you know, you can be fine after turf toe without surgery, but there's a a chance that he will need surgery so he could play through it. He can aggravate it. And then sooner or later, he might need surgery throughout the season. That is scary because I think Antonio has top five potential at the running back position. I really like him this year. I think the only thing that holds him back is an injury. But if we're already going into the season saying, you know, this turf toe is scary, it's like, do you just kind of pivot and go with someone like Austin Eckler, who's going right around him, someone like Cam Akers, who's going around him? I don't normally say his name in a way that I would ever draft him, but I'm being nice. Uh, But I'm just saying, (laughs) do you pivot a little bit um, and go with someone else? It wasn't the last player that I remember like hearing say admit to their injuries and admit it was holding them back. I think it was carry on Johnson last year and I'm not, obviously Ooh. it's different situations, but that did not work out. So I'm a little nervous about that comment. <laughs> that is not great. I, I just want to go back. So even injury aside, I am a little bit concerned, right? So we're not even just talking about a running back. We're talking about a converted wide receiver. His primary position was wide receiver. And do you know who led the NFL last season in running backs in routes run? It was JD McKissick. It's not as though, you know, he was just being faded out and in JD McKissick was actually out there running routes. He led the league in targets for running backs. He led the league in routes run for running backs. Antonio Gibson ranks like 30th. I don't think that's a bad thing. Necessarily Why? Because it's showing that the offense wants to use a running back in the passing game. And that's better than this next situation we'll talk about. But then why aren't you having him run routes? He was a rookie. Like, give him a second. He's I a do, converted wide receiver. I do think, J- well, you also have to be able to pass block when you're out there. And if you- he wasn't able to yet. And he wasn't able to yet. Like he needs to learn. This happens with all. But rookies. I mean, pass blocking snaps are differentiated from routes run. No. Yeah, but if you need to change up the play and you need to bring him back to block, which happens often, and you don't have someone out there that you trust, it, there's a lot of reasons it could be, or like he just needed time to learn the whole playbook. Who knows? There there's be- just a very large gap between the two. I think JD McKissick will still be involved. He'll still get it, but I do think Antonio Gibson will be more involved this year. I mean, before his injury, he went through only three weeks in the beginning of the season with two, two, three targets. After that, he went to five, five, five. One, three, four, two, seven, and then he got hurt. And then after that, of course, like his work went down. But in the beginning, like the middle of the season, there when he got more involved, he was on pace for 64 targets. That's plenty, I think. 52 receptions, 434 receiving yards. Like, I think that's enough for him. But JD McKissick, a running back, he saw five targets per game plus the entire season. Yeah, but during that middle part of the season, it did go down when Antonio Gibson was healthy and involved. It was the beginning for JD McKissick and towards the end where he was crazy high in the middle there, that middle of the season, his numbers did decrease a little bit, a little bit. He was still involved. I mean, I would have to pull up his exact numbers, but let's talk about a team in a a similar situation, but a team that does not use their running backs at all. I like Washington because they use them. So that makes, that gives me hope for Antonio. That's actually a good, like, are we going to see, Ryan Fitzpatrick target the running back a lot. We don't know. Mm. He did use Muggs Gaskin. So I'll, I'll give him hope. But so did Tua. And they it was a revolving door. All right. I don't, it's, it's worth questioning all of this. Anyways, a team that does not use their running backs whatsoever uh, are the Ravens, right? They don't pass the running backs in the passing game, like, at all. But John Harbaugh, oh, my goodness, did I say his last name right? Harbaugh. John Harbaugh. Greg Roman has kind of said he wants to be the running backs more. They're going to be using Harbaugh. Do we go 
believe this or do we not? Don't even want to acknowledge that that's a possibility because I think it's dangerous to make that assumption. Like John Harbaugh saying that to me does not hold as much water as what Ron Rivera said about Ron Gibbons. Like we know tendencies have already been with the position in Washington and Harbaugh saying this all of a sudden he's going to have this magical change with the same personnel and and additional wide receiving options added into it. A lot of additional wide receivers, uh, wide receivers added into it. Like that scares me. I don't know. I, I don't trust Jim here. Sorry, or not Jim, John. Why can't, why is this, this name? Why is John Harbaugh? Jim, such a John, hard name? John, Harbaugh, Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, maybe you use the running backs more in the passing game, but what does that mean? Because the Ravens were second to last in running back targets, second to last in running back receiving yards. They're only, you know, their running backs only had one more target than the Tennessee Titans. And no, Derek Henry is the only running back they use. So it's just pretty much one less target than Derek Henry. Not really. But, and then when you're looking after that, so the Titans with 58 targets to running back. So the Ravens with 59. Third place is the Rams with 71. So that's a pretty big jump from 59 to 71. And so it's like, okay, they can even take a jump and they're still going to be bottom five, bottom 10. Like, Yes, there's only one way to go up, but up. like obviously you're going to involve them more. J.K. Dobbins had one reception in his last five games. It's like, yeah, you're going to use him more because if you don't, then he gets zero receptions. There's literally only one way but up. And then no one brings up that J.K. Dobbins had four drops on 23 targets last year. Four drops on 23 targets. Third highest drop percentage in the NFL. Like, he had a higher drop percentage than Ronald Jones. Maybe. But why talk about that when he's the most efficient runner in the NFL? (laughs) That's not a sexy narrative. I I just think, why are we trusting them now? Jake, it's it's what you said. So Ron Rivera, you're looking at him indicating uh, which pass catcher he prefers, which is a pretty normal thing. But I mean, we've heard the Ravens say that they're going to be flipping the switch on their offense, become more pass heavy. They've been trying to flip this narrative for the last three seasons and it hasn't happened. Why do I believe you now? It's kind of like how every year I feel like we wait for the fallout where the Steelers aren't going to use a workhorse running back. And then they, they do every year. It's, it's what they do. It's what their offense does. Jake, can you explain to me? Because I feel like there's a hundred narratives about the Ravens this year. It's they're going to pass way more. You know, they're going to use their wide receivers get way more involved. Rashad Bateman's going to be fine because they're going to pass more. Like uh, how, how Mark, Mark Andrews is also a better route runner than he's ever been. Well, that was my next narrative. <laughs> Merged. <laughs> Before we get into that one, like, how are, how is Rashad Bateman as a rookie going to be a thing? Like, and then JK Dobbins is also used more. And then they brought in Sammy Watkins and then they drafted Tylon Wallace. And then, but JK Dobbins is still going to get a huge workload on the, on the ground, but Lamar Jackson's going to still be fine for fantasy. Cause he's going to run too. Like, how does this all happen? And Gus Edwards gets a big extension. Yes. Now I will say though, the nice thing about like, if they do increase the passing volume to the backfield at all, at least, you know, it's going Dobbins way. Like Gus, Gus is not getting those, those targets. Um, I mean, Dobbins of course has not proven himself very much, but we know what Gus is and he ain't no pass catcher. So I guess that's a silver lining, but no, like Michelle, to your point, the only way that this all works is if they become the most hyper offense in the NFL like they have to battle Arizona basically in like terms of plays run and and it has to be extravagant to be able to feed all these people the way that they say they want to feed them yeah and I will say John Harbaugh did uh say Justice Hill's name in like (gasps) he did say his name by name I know I know that sounds silly to say but in the interview, he said, you know, we want to get our running backs more involved, J.K. Dobbins and Justice Hill. Now, I feel like most of us forgot that Justice Hill was I'm not at all saying draft Justice Hill. <laughs> I'm just saying he did name him. So maybe he's saying, OK, maybe we can use him as a pass catcher because there is something to say about J.K. Dobbins dropping four passes when all of the passes are about one inch away from you. Like these are all catchable targets because they're counted as drops. 
And you like running backs aren't getting targeted deep. These are very close. There is, there's a couple that I remember just seeing, I mean, they were right, right in his hands, no one around and he just dropped them. doesn't mean he's going to continue to drop them. Uh, but that is a concern. And it's like, you know, Ronald Jones, Miles Sanders, they've had the drops, these issues in their careers. Let's hope it does not go that way with JK Dobbins, but then moving on really quickly, we don't have to talk about Mark Andrews much, but the next narrative was Mark Andrews is having, uh, you know, a great off season. Uh, John Harbaugh, I hate having to say his name. Hopefully I'm saying it right. Harbaugh. Is, he's saying Mark Andrews is running the best routes he's ever run. And uh, I guess he scored a bunch of touchdowns in practice. What are we thinking about Mark Andrews? I feel like we all got so high on him last off season. So now we're just all off of him. But, like, he is still pretty good. Okay, so here's the issue. Michelle, you alluded to it. We were all so high on him. And the hope would be that his value would drop. His his average draft position should drop because we were all kicked in the booty by him and his efficiency. It dropped a little bit. If we can't count on, you know, a guaranteed target share for him, if they're going to spread the ball to the running backs. They're going to spread the ball to their rookies. They're going to get Marquise Brown involved. If we're not going to count on a high target share, we do need to count on a lot of efficiency. And I feel like we've seen the efficiency ceiling. It's like the glass ceiling of efficiency. They already broke it. I don't know what more we can expect from the Ravens in terms of efficiency. I, I just don't get it. The thing I'll say about the Ravens, I want to, I want to bargain. If, if they increase their passing game, like they say they're going to, I think Mark Andrews will be more involved. Like I don't think it makes all these wide receivers all of a sudden great and running backs great in the passing game. Mark Andrews is the focal point of their offense. They dealt with a lot of COVID issues to start the season. Lamar Jackson just wasn't really on point. The second half of the season, though, weeks 10 through 17, uh, Mark Andrews was on pace for 117 targets. He was getting targeted a lot. He he scored the third most fantasy points throughout that time. I will say it went Kelsey, Waller, then Andrews, but there was a massive gap between Waller and Andrews. He's So Andrews, I do think, is one of those tight ends who will score the most out of that second tier. It's just like, is he worth that price? Because the most out of the second tier is just not that much. What are your thoughts, Jake? Are you looking to draft Mark Andrews this year? No, I'm staying far away. I'm staying so far away from Mark Andrews. It's that it's that thing beyond the top three, in my opinion, that we listed there, Kelsey, Kittle, Waller. I, I'm staying out of it. I'm staying out of it until the late round. So Andrews seems to me like fool's gold. Like even if he returns, you know, the value that you have to draft him at, I don't see him returning more than that. And so that's a problem for me. I guess what you hope for is like, yeah, they add all these weapons and they take some coverage away and he gets a little bit easier catches, I guess, but I'm not banking on that. Yeah. I wish his price was a little bit cheaper. I do think Mark Andrews will have a better fantasy year last year than he did or this year than he did last year. It's just like, like Kate, his price didn't go down enough. But like at this point, I would rather draft a TJ Hawkinson who essentially is the same price but I think is locked in for a much lar- larger target share, even if it's not as efficient. I'm going to go with Mark Andrews and DJ Hawkinson. I'll have him. Really? I'll have him projected higher for touchdowns 100%. Um, and I, I think he will come close enough to the targets and his efficiency will be so much higher that he can still have 20 to 25 fewer targets and he'll still outscore him. If you could all see, if like listeners could all see the faces that Kate was making there, I just want to call out the entire duration of that thing. It should be gifted <laughs> immediately and put onto the internet. I will say, I, I do actually have Hawkinson as much as I worry about him too. I have him slightly above Andrews as well, based on projected targets, but but it is razor thin. It's literally, I mean, it it comes down for me, if I'm looking at a tight end, I would much rather count on volume. You know TJ Hawkinson, I mean, they don't have any other people to target in the end zone. So TJ Hawkinson is the de facto guy. Just because they don't have other people to target doesn't mean score. I, it's again, it's it's balancing volume over efficiency and in a position where I mean volume is king in who, all of fantasy, but the 
tight end position, especially it's so volatile. The Ravens get down to the, the red zone, right? And they want to pass it. It's like, are you going to pass and it? And then they, Bateman they or... want to pass it. Lamar can't find a read and he runs it All in. Right, maybe, maybe. I still like Mark Andrews more than TJ Hawkinson, but it's close. It's God close. bless you. All right, next up, we're talking a lot about the AFC North. Uh, will Joe Burrow get his deep game back? Because at LSU, he's a very good deep passer. He gets into his rookie season. Uh, pretty bad deep passer. But then he's coming out of camp is he's looking great, right? He's back healthy. Uh, beat reporters said that he has velocity on his throws. Uh, T. Higgs has come out and said that he feels that uh, Burrow is throwing with way more zip. And then Tion Higgins also said that he's around 220. Feels good. I even feel faster. So T. Higgins is feeling good. Joe Burrow's throwing these deep passes and getting getting things done in OTA. Do we think Joe Burrow gets that deep passing game back in the NFL like he did at college at LSU? I mean, did they did they like fix their offensive line by tenfold? Because that's what it's going to take for me to believe that Burrow is suddenly going to increase his his deep passes that much. It's not about the talent. It's not about the receivers. I don't even think it was necessarily about an adjustment from college to NFL. I think it's the offensive line made it almost impossible for him to do that. And I don't know that they fixed it enough. I, I mean, certainly I could be proven wrong. And I, I hope that I am because I love that offense on paper. And I love those wide receivers, especially. Um, but I just don't know. Looking back to Joe Burrow's college performance, right? Back in 2019 with LSU, he was a pretty good deep passer. Um, not overly efficient like he was in his 2020 season, but was very highly graded by PFF, had uh, almost 900 receiving or passing yards on deep throws, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions. He was fine. Uh, he was fine there. But he had a really, really, really fantastic final season with LSU. Led the NCAA in deep passing yards, 1,700. And to compare that to his 2019 season, I mean, that's literally almost uh, 900 more, just for math purposes. Uh, his <laughs> touchdown interception ratio was off the charts, too. Uh, 26 touchdowns to two interceptions. Again, back in 2019, that was 10 touchdowns to two interceptions on those same deep throws. Adjusted completion percentage was off the charts. And looking to his drop rate. So, like, you know, adjusted completion percentage, it tries to take all of that that, you know, wide receiver stuff off at throwaways, it throws them out. Just how is the quarterback passing? He did very well. He had also had a very low drop rate among his wide receivers. Interestingly enough, in 2020, his wide receivers only had one drop on his deep passes, right? But his adjusted completion percentage was 20.8%. That is in comparison to a 60% adjusted completion percentage in his final season with LSU. That is a giant drop-off. Like, that's significant. He ranked 36 out of 38 qualifying quarterbacks in adjusted completion percentage. The only two quarterbacks that had a worse adjusted completion percentage on those deep throws, Dwayne Haskins. Oof. Mitch Trubisky. Oof. Yeah, and I, I will say that's concerning. But then if you go look at Josh Allen's numbers over the last 2019 and 2020, he was the worst in the league last year in yards per attempt on deep passes, the second worst in the league in completion percentages at 20-something percent. And then he went way up this year, uh, 12 yards per attempt from seven the year before. He completed 40% of his passes, deep, like 40% of deep passes completed. That wasn't even adjusted, like accounting for drops. That's a really good number. Like it's top 10 in the NFL. He got Stefan Diggs. And now Stefan Diggs wasn't even the man that was catching all these. It was Gabriel Davis and Cole Beasley. Um, and then also John Brown had some, but it was having all of those weapons that helped them, especially Stefan Diggs open things up, um, you know, shorter where defenses were worried about him. 
I think that's not what Joe Burrow has with Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was that deep target for Joe Burrow at LSU with those great numbers that Jamar Chase had like 20 touchdowns and so many deep touchdowns, so many deep receptions. I do. I want to say I'm not trying to say that he can't do it. I'm just trying to make a point of how, Jake, like you said, maybe the offensive line does have a lot to do with this because – it's really hard to throw the ball deep if you don't have time to do that and you don't have time to get your footing and and get all of those things in a place which make you throw an accurate deep ball. It's I again, Jake, like you said, on paper, I think it is improved. It just I mean, offensive line, I think almost more than anything, we always hear that it's such a a, a group about chemistry. I mean, kind of like, that that repertoire between a quarterback and a center, you need good chemistry to get that right. And if it's not right, I mean, even if you have all the right pieces on, on paper, it might not work out. We need to see. Speaking of bad offensive lines, hey. the next is that the Steelers' offense will look completely different next season. Ben Roethlisberger said that. Pretty much that. The the Steelers' offense is going to look so different under new offensive coordinator Matt Canada. Last year, it was Randy Fitchner. He didn't technically get fired, but they didn't resign him because he was really, really, really bad. There's not many worse OCs I've seen lately. So I'm personally happy he's gone as a fan. I hope he finds another job, just not with the Steelers. Uh, If he wants to be the OC of the Ravens, I highly invite Matt. But I'm excited to see what Matt Canada can do next year. Ben, Big Ben said, you know, he has to learn this whole new playbook, whole new language. He's used to changing up some things from year to year, but this is completely different. New plays, new system. He says everyone's going to be shocked a little bit. Do we believe this to be true, Jake? I want to hear from you, the non-Steelers fan. They have to. They have to change from last year. What What we saw last year, I mean, obviously, towards the beginning of the year, it worked, and it worked fine enough. But like not having a true running game, or I, I should say a truly effective running game, because they did run. I mean, they tried their best and it, and it just didn't work out. And so they kind of adapted this weird <laughs> short passing situation to try and circumvent it. And yeah, I, I don't know how any defense looked at that second half of the season. It was like, well, we don't know what these guys are going to come up with. Uh, everybody knew. Everybody knew from uh, from moment one, basically, what was about to happen, and it did not sustain them. So, yeah, I believe 100% that they'll change it up. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully, Ben's able to learn some new tricks. Uh, I think he can, um, but we'll be. I'll, I'll be curious to see how effective they are with those new tricks this first year. Yeah, and I will say, like, to give James Connor some credit, you know, that week one, he came in, he got taken out of the way with whatever injury he had, or he had a meltdown or whatever. He got benched, right? After just the very beginning of the game. From weeks two through 11, like a very big chunk of the season, he had 139 carries for 636 rushing yards, 4.6 yards per carry. Like, he was fine when they gave him the ball. They just wouldn't run it. And then they kept him with Benny Snell, and he got one inch if we were lucky. I mean, most of the time he lost our first damn running back I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. I can, I'm getting so mad about it. Like, so heated because he's so incredibly bad. I cannot believe he was on your team. And he took carries from James Conner. It's just oh, he's because, still on your favorite team. You no, know, I, I think he's cut this year. I honestly do. He's so bad. Uh, but so they were fine. They decided, you know what? We want to abandon the run. We don't want to run anymore. We want to make our offense just incredibly uh, predictable. And it, it ruined the Steelers at the end of the year. But also even before that, I mean, defense is just new. We could sit here and watch a game and realize this is the play that's going to happen. And if Kate and I can do that, I promise you defenses can do that. The Steelers had 200 plays from under center in 2020. They ran on 171 of those 200 plays, 171. That's a lot. So you go under center instead of being in shotgun, and defense is like, oh, they're going to run. So, yeah, your running game is not going to be good when you tell them, hey, we're going to run. Like, we're telling you right now, it's a stupid stat. I can't believe that's even possible for an offensive coordinator to have 
uh, that stat. I'm very, very upset about it. Anecdotally, um, I mean, watching the games, I didn't see this so much in 2020. But going back to 2019, Michelle and I, we were at most of the Steelers games. And we literally, every single play, we called it when there was going to be a run because they took, took out every Peter. single wide receipt. No, they took out literally Juju. They took out James Washington, who was in a starting position at that point. They took off all of their starting wide receivers off of the field and just ran it. And it, I mean, when, like Michelle, when you said, if we can call it, defenses can call that. I'll say we're right. Like 90% of the time. Yeah. And that's a scary percent accuracy uh, <laughs> for Steelers. someone that's not a defensive coordinator. Uh, but also I'm not too worried about Ben's yards per attempt that went way, way down after his knee injuries. He hurt both knees in week nine or week eight against Dallas, but also like the years before that 7.6 yards per attempt, 7.6 yards per attempt, both 2018 and 2017. Obviously, yes, he hurt his elbow. I think that goes right back up with a new offense coordinator who opens things up. Uh, so I am not worried about it. They're already running actually play action plays in camp. They did not run play action whatsoever last year because again, Randy Fitchner is garbage. Maybe that's what Ben's like so shocked about. He's like, you guys, you, you want me to, you want me to do play action? You had to like reteach him football. <laughs> and to be nice, I'm turn? sure Randy's not a garbage human being. Uh, I, just Randy Fitchner is a garbage OC, you know? That's pretty ballsy. That's pretty ballsy. Covered her asses out there, man. Some ballsy shots. Get ballsy. My favorite narrative of them all. I kept them for last because the best is for last. Is that how the is that how the uh, saying goes? Right, best for last. New York Jets rookie wide receiver. Never in the history of this podcast have you ever heard that we saved the best narrative, which was about the New York Jets for last. Rookie <laughs> wide receiver Elijah Moore. Is he the rookie that you want to draft in twenty? 21. I mean, there could not be more glowing reviews about any player in OTAs this season. This is just one little part of what I read in The Athletic. It says he just keeps getting better. It's getting exhausting writing about more because what else is there to say? He's making plays in the slot and split wide. He's getting open deep and short. He's virtually uncoverable by the goal line. Every day he does something else that makes you turn your head. You'll hear about all, all about his red zones or the diving catch on the first play of practice, but he made another grab near the left that was equally impressive. He ran a little then lunged forward to make a fingertip grab before going out of bounds for a first down. I don't really want to write about more anymore. Impossible not to. He's the most impressive player on either side of the ball, and it's not really close. Team, uh, Denzel Mim did miss some time with injury, but even once Denzel Mim came came back. It was still feeling cold and Elijah Moore, the first team. Mims is running with the second team. It's just been all amazing. And then Jameson Crowder hasn't been at OTAs because the Jets apparently want him to take a significant pay cut. Are you guys as in Elijah Moore as I am? Because you can hear how excited I am. No. <laughs> hey, no, hey, I'm definitely hey. not based on your excitement level there. Um, I, I, it's, it, it involves putting a lot of confidence into the New York Jets and I can't, I can't do that right now. Like they are a team and I understand everything's different there, but their team, I need to see it first before I'm willing to put that kind of investment in. Like, so is Elijah Moore the rookie receiver for me this year? No, I actually, I'd probably be like Jalen Waddle would be the guy I would want this year out of all the rookie receivers. Uh, so I, I, I'm out on more personally, but that just means you get to have more of him everywhere. More. Your no was so sad when I asked you, are you in on him? You're like, no, no. As if it was that obvious. <laughs> I, I, so here's the question for me with the Jets, just in general, because there's been plenty of hype. We've heard a lot of good things about Elijah Moore. We've heard 
a lot of good things about Michael Carter potentially taking over the backfield. We have uh, Sala coming out to say that, yes, we have lots of running backs with unique skills. I I just, I mean, are we really going to see a good offense? That's my question. I don't know that I totally yes. buy that. The answer is yes. So you think that Elijah Moore is a, the key to unlocking the Jets offense? I think Zach will be really good as well. And I think having a Kyle Shanahan type offense is important to a success fast. Not asking for a lot of deep passes to be completed. It's get the ball in your best talent and let them do the the work after the catch is what the 49ers have been thriving on. If we're talking about though, like Brandon Ayuk had one of the most historical rookie seasons in fantasy for a rookie, and he was with Nick Mullins. Jack Wilson <laughs> as good as Nick Mullins. I just there were there were not any other options. I think I love Brandon Ayuk. He was for me the best route runner in last year's class. Loved him. Who's the best route runner in this class? Devonta Smith, who's the second best. Elijah Moore. And yeah. I think Elijah Moore has the best hands. I'm I think Elijah Moore is the kind of wide receiver that we think that that is a point in their direction, but they just don't have an established offense yet. And I don't know how established we're going to see. You have a lot of moving pieces in this offense, Michelle. You have a staff a new playbook, a new quarterback, a new running back, a new slot receiver. You don't have a lot of stability in that offense. And I think that's probably the biggest concern for me. Don't, I, we just, I don't think we know what to What about T. Then. Higgins last year, right? You had a new quarterback. You had a second-year coach. You had Joe Mixon pretty much out immediately. And then you also had Joe Burrow out immediately. But T. You Higgins didn't, you didn't show You did not know that. Joe Mixon would be out immediately. I'm not saying that he's not going to show latches. I'm just saying, like, in terms of predicting first year success, we did predict that he was going to have Joe Mixon. Like, we did project that. I mean, I did not project that AJ Green was going to have a bats back season, but there were lots of people that did. And they thought that he was going to be a contributor within the offense. So the narrative about the Bengals, I think we had a much better picture of what the Bengals were going to be than we do the Jets. And that's my only thing. So I love Elijah Moore. Getting into this take, I'm going to call it right now. This is my ballsy take of the week. If Jamison Crowder gets traded or cut, which is completely possible because the Jets want him to take a significant, significant pay cut. Uh, Jameson Crowder's not budging. He's not coming to OTAs. He can be traded or he could be cut. If he, if that happens, Elijah Moore is a top 20 fantasy wide receiver in year one. I'm putting my foot down. I think he's going to instantly succeed. Uh, he's been the top target for Zach Wilson so far in OTAs, and I believe he's going to continue being that top target for him this season, like what Elijah Moore did at Ole Miss isn't just like a fluke. It's not like, oh, like he's just like any other wide receiver coming in. It's like, no, no, he had the best wide receiver season or just best season of any power five prospect in any season entering the NFL, like 149.1 receiving yards per game. That's what he averaged. That's more than Devonta Smith. He had an insane season only played eight games that's the issue because then he opted out with COVID but at that 1193 receiving yards in eight games to start the season he was insane he you know ranked second in PFF receiving grade right behind Devonta Smith he was excellent after the catch. He's one of the best route runners in the class. His hands are the best in the class. It's like oh, they have easily. Glue. It's like they have glue on them. It might sound crazy. He's in Tony Brown 2.0. Right on. That's bold. Yeah, maybe. But I, I feel it. I, feel I it. think that's the ballsy take. Not even the, the top 20 receiver. Your ballsy take is that he's Antonio Brown 2.0. Yeah. Let's roll with that. He's going to be so good. Everybody, that is our I give that three balls. Three balls. That is against nature that that definitely goes against nature everybody thank you for joining us for today's ball blast fantasy football podcast i hope Mish especially has helped you get ballsy 
and we'll help you win your fantasy football league. Stay tuned for a really exciting off season. Please be sure to check out our website and support the show. Different ways you can support the show. Leave us a five-star review. Tell your friends, share it on Twitter. We so appreciate all of the support. We've gotten some really kind messages and shout outs, and it means so much from you guys. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ballblast. Uh, get my exclusive underdog article, you know, win some win some best ball drafts with that promo code ballblast to get that $25 free credit and win some leagues. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week's Ball Blast Fantasy Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave those five-star reviews, and check out ballblastfootball.com for more league-winning advice.